Now we're ready. So yeah, last week we made the point from the Ramban, Nachmanides. He made the point in last week's Parsha, as well as in Parsha's Yisro. He actually made the point more uh, comprehensively in Parsha's Yisro that one honors the Shabbos in two ways. You keep Shabbos on Shabbos and you keep Shabbos during the week. Zohar's Yom HaShabbos Lakacho is fulfilled by making Kiddush on Shabbos, by designating Shabbos. But it's also fulfilled when during the week we acknowledge Shabbos. How do you acknowledge Shabbos during the week? is the debate in the Talmud. But when you come across that great piece of flesh, that great piece of meat, and you say, this is not good for Tuesday night, this is perfect for Shabbos. I'm saving this for Shabbos. You've just... You just uh, sanctified Shabbos. When you do something that on, during the week that you would not be allowed to do on Shabbos, you do something in a manner that you could not do it. You grind something, you sort, select, you heat, you cook. You do something and you say, you know, I wouldn't be allowed to do this on Shabbos, but I can today because it's Thursday. You've honored Shabbos. So, Yocheved and Elaine made the point last week, or Elaine and Yocheved, I don't know which order, that uh, when we get together and we study the Parsha, in anticipation of Shabbos, we are fulfilling sanctifying Shabbos even during the week by talking about Shabbos already on Thursday. So on that note, we begin with Parshas Vayakta. So, as we have started to do, just first a uh, brief overview, and then we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty of the Pesukim that uh, we want to talk about. You know how I always tell you that the chapters in the Torah were not designated by the Jewish people? In fact, there are some who are stricter, by Soloveitchik was strict not to call it a parak. He didn't want to imply as if it had a, a uh, holy designation, as if Chazal had designated it. Called it a chapter, a capital, some other name, but not to imply that it's actually a parak designated. When did the Christians designate these chapters that we now use? They've made its way into our chumashim. Did they read it? So I spoke last Shabbos about the disputation. So in the 13th century, when there were these disputations, 1240, Nicholas Donin and uh, Rabbi Chil of Paris, and 1262, when uh, the Ramban and Pablo Christiani, and so on. Um, in order to be able to draw from the sources and have a critical analysis of it, they designated chapters. And then that stuck. And the printers and editors adopted and adapted it. And that's what has stuck. But that's not our Jewish. We've broken, we have it based on partios. And uh, psukim are significant to us. And of course the narrative is broken up, as I often tell you, between what are called the psuchos and the stumos, where you have a break in the line and the line continues with a new topic. Or an end of the line, the line, the topic continues on the next paragraph showing a more significant break. But anyway, so last week's, last week's Parsha we had the Chet Egel, the sin of the golden calf, which in itself deserves great elaboration and analysis. Moshe begs forgiveness, God forgives the people, <clears throat> and uh, they renew the covenant, they renew the bris, and the radiance, it ends with the radiance of Moshe, misinterpreted by many, including Renaissance artists as being horns but instead they were rays of light. What does it mean that Moshe had rays of light? Where did they come from? They came from the quill, the ink that was left. All kinds of midrashic interpretations we're not getting into. Which begins this week's parsha. Vayaka Moshe has called B'nei Yisrael. Moshe gathers all of the people and he says to them, these are the things God commanded you to do. And how does he begin yet again? Shabbos. Shabbos we know plays such a critical role. We talked about it at length last week because Shabbos over and over and over again appears in the Torah. So you just have two psukim reminding us in case you forgot since last week that there's something called Shabbos. And then we get into the contributions once again. And Vayakal Pekudei are an enigma because Vayakal and Pekudei, every time you read them every single year, it's deja vu all over again. Because we just read this, Truma Tetzava. Truma Vayakal Pekudei is the mirror image. It's... Seems to be almost an exact repetition of Truma Tetzave. And that's why you'll notice there is a. The, most of the Mafarsha, most of the commentators are very uh, silenced, are much quieter on Vayaka Pakude because they kind of said it all on Truma Tetzave. So why does Vayaka Pakude appear? Why did God designate such sacred real estate of the Torah to repeat all of Vayaka Pakude? That's an overarching question which we're not going to talk about. I like to quote a great shot by Rabbi Pam, Ravavram Pam, Zechatzalik Levracha. Have I said it here? I'll tell you just very briefly because I want to get into the text itself. He says there's a very clear distinction. He says in Shuma Tetzave, over and over and over again, the Psukim describe Kain Ta'asu, Va'asu, you shall do, you shall build, you shall create, you shall structure, you shall fashion. It's telling us the blueprint of what should happen, the design of what's destined to be. Vayakal Pakude, over and over and over again, is Kain Asa, Kain Asu. They did. They fulfilled. So, Rav Palm's insight was, he says, how often do we begin a project? How often do we start something? And we have in mind a great vision, we have in mind a great conclusion, we have in mind 
a great contribution and somewhere along the way we get distracted, we run out of energy, we run out of resources, we run out of time, we run out of focus. How many unfinished products do we have in our garage and in our life? Unfinished efforts, unfinished goals. So the very fact that the Jewish people set out to build the tabernacle with the kalim and the utensils that were therein, with the big day kahuna, with the clothing, the uniform, the priestly garments, and they completed everything, they dotted every I, they crossed every T, everything was done to perfection, everything was done to every last detail. It is so unusual, it is so refreshing, says Rav Palm, that it was worthy of repeating all, vi- all Trumatatava to be able to say in Vayaka Pekudai, Kenasu, so they did. What they set out to do, indeed they did. So that's his interpretation, there are many others, but that of course is the overarching question, why the reputation? So we have the contributions of the Mishkan, that Kechume Itchem Trumal Hashem, take from you a gift, kol nadiv libo, everyone who is a, uh, generous in their heart. Why is generosity in the, in the heart? It's interesting. Anyone who's generous of the heart, you know... Uh, they say if, if a person's if you want to see how a person's heart is feeling if a person passes out God forbid if a person faints it happens in the shul on a semi-regular basis that somebody for whatever reason didn't take a medicine took too much medicine they drop so we are blessed to have 150 doctors in our shul most of them stand over the person yelling what insurance do you have <laughs> but the one or two who actually I'm just joking doctors who are listening that was a joke our doctors are wonderful pillars of our community, incredible. I don't know where we'd be without it. Anyway, the doctors who actually kneel down to, to uh, check the person, what do they check? How do they know what's happening with their heart? Vital signs. They hold their hand. If you want to see what's happening in a person's heart, you hold their hand. And the same thing is true with generosity. You want to know what's happening with their heart, you check their hand. If a person is, is a giver. There's a direct connection between the heart and the hand. <laughs> anyway, but you want to know what's happening in a person's heart? You, uh, you check the hand. Yes? Just for everyone to know, there's been a new change in CPR. You never know. Right. You all know that now, there's no mouth to mouth. It's complete over the chest. Pumping. Pump. I did not know that. Okay, that is good to know. You come to a Parsha class and you learn CPR. What an unbelievable shul. Anyway, the construction, then we go into the construction of the Mishkan, the details, the craftsmen, which is what we're going to get into. The artisans who are to be in charge of this project are selected and chosen. The mandate is offered. The work begins. And then again, the Parsha recounts exactly what we saw in Shumatatava. You make you know, all the details of exactly what's going to be constructed. The ureos, the curtains that are going to comprise the outer part, the cover, the planks, their components, the partitions, the screen. And then we get into the kalim. We have the aron, we have the cover of the aron, the kruvim on top, we have the shulchan, we have the menorah, we have the mizbeach ketoras, and so on, and the kior, the, uh, and so on and so forth. So we have... Not the begadim, that's the next week's parasha, the repetition of the garments, but just like tr- uh, truma was the utensils and the mishkan, and tetzaba was the garments, Navayakel mirrors truma. Okay, that's an overview of the parsha. Again, if you look in the stone chumash, you'll notice there's like almost no rashes. Right? Flip through the pages in the stone chumash, beginning at page 516. Literally, there's almost no rashes. The text takes up almost the entire page. Why is that? Because there was not much to say, which makes this class this morning and next week a challenge. Because Vayaka Pakude, been there, done that. We already had many of these conversations Truma but have no fear because we will try to nevertheless investigate some of the commentators. So I want to start this morning on Perak Lamed Hay, Kapitel Lamed Hay, chapter 35, verse 21, and otherwise known as Shani, the beginning of the second Aliyah. The beginning of the second Aliyah. Chapter 35, verse 21. Okay, see where we are? Okay. So, this really begins the second part of the narrative of the Parsha. Because the very first narrative, the very first section of the Parsha was Vayakel. Moshe gathered all the people. He reminded them about Shabbos. We don't have time, but the commentators go through. Why Shabbos again? Why Shabbos now? Why Shabbos here? And why Vayakel? What's the connection between gathering the people and telling them about Shabbos? There's a correlation. I'll just uh, refer you to the new book that came out of Rabbi Soloveitchik's Drushes in the Torah um, that was written by Rabbi Avishai David. 
who used to teach in Mechlala, now he's the Rosh Hashiva of Torah Shraga in Yerushalayim. I forgot what it's called. Rosh's, I forgot the name of it. But anyway, he points out that there is a connection. Vayakel means he gathered the people, and then he reminded them about Shabbos. There's a public notion to Shabbos. He develops there the idea of two types of sins. There are indiscretions which are private, and there are indiscretions which are public. And a public indiscretion shows even a greater... Um, arrogance, even a greater sense of rebellion or dismissiveness of, of authority when you're willing to rebel in public. So when someone dismisses the yoke of Shabbos, that's why a machala Shabbos b'farhesia, we have a halachic category of somebody who publicly desecrates the Shabbos. Of course, we're not talking about someone who's not educated, not informed, who didn't have that upbringing. We're not talking about today's people who never experienced Shabbos. But we're talking about centuries ago when you grew up in the shtetl, everyone kept Shabbos, and you publicly made a statement by desecrating it. So that was a violation of vayakel. And he draws a correlation between the notion of gathering vayakel and the connection with Shabbos. But we're not getting into that. We're starting with Shani. So again, the Pasuk before, Chaf is Vayetzu Kol Adas Bnei Yisrael Melifnei Moshe. It's the opposite book. And Vayakel Moshe gathered everyone. He reminded them about Shabbos. He told them you have to be generous and give. The mandate to build a Mishkan. And then Vayetzu, he said, go, go up, be on your way. Go get your checks. Go deposit them. We got, we got work to do. Yes? It's just really so, so important uh, to know that in the building at the Mishkan, we all, there's the belief of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They only wanted people, Jews, who bought into that, who understood that. They didn't want, it wasn't like the shekel, half shekel, where everybody <coughs> right. every soul. It was crucial to only have it built with the gold, the silver, and the, and the wood. Of people. Right. Okay, so that's what we'll talk about. Who gave and uh, people of virtue. Pasuk Chaf Aleph. That's where we're beginning. So this begins. Every person whose heart inspired him came. Everyone whose spirit motivated him brought the portion of Hashem for the work of the Oamoid, the tent of the meeting for all its labor and for all the sacred vestments. In other words, first came the appeal. And now this is the follow-up on the appeal to say who participated. You had the shul dinner, you had the kol nidre appeal, you had pillars, you had the golf tournament, you had whatever the many fundraisers an institution needs to have. You have the appeal. Well, who gave? If you want to try to create a character, a profile of who gave, the Pasuk tells us, You know who gave? A person whose heart inspired him person whose spirit motivated him. Asher nadva rucho, their ruach, their spirit, their spirituality moved them to give. But keep going. Vayavo ha'anashim What? Good. Vayavo ha'anashim al ha'anashim Translate those words. Yeah, so vayavo anashim al anashim. The word al here obviously is our question mark. The men came al the women. What that means? Kol nadivleiv heviu chach vanezem v'tabas v'chumaz kokli zahav v'chol isha shayniv tinuaz zahav l'ashem. Everyone whose heart motivated and brought bracelets and nose rings. By the way, just as an aside, in biblical times we see throughout Tanakh. I mentioned this in a shir I once gave on body piercings in halacha. That you see great precedent. They didn't just wear rings and earrings they wore nose rings I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting that we bring that back I'm just saying that's a reality anyway rings body ornaments all sorts of gold jewelry every man who raised up an offering of gold to Hashem so they didn't only need metals they didn't only need uh, fine, fine metals, but every man who has found turquoise, purple, scarlet, wool, linen, goat hair, ram skins, tachash skins, all these other ingredients that were necessary for the construction of the Mishkan, everyone brought. And more of the ingredients that people brought. Everyone who separated a portion of silver or copper brought it for Hashem. Everyone with whom there was acacia wood, shitim, atzei shitim, acacia wood for any work of the labor. In other words, we know that the shulchan, the aron, many things were made out of, at least internally, atzei shitim, acacia wood. Had to bring that. They needed all these things. Every woman who had wisdom of the heart 
spun with her hands, she would weave. And they brought the spun yarn of turquoise, purple, scarlet wool and linen. Men donated the ingredients and the women did the work, the craftsmanship necessary to transform them into what was necessary to build the Mishkan. All the women whose heart inspired them with wisdom spun the goat hair. Again, we keep seeing this emphasis that who participated both in the donation of the materials as well as in the, in the uh, preparation of them were people described as Nedivlibo and Chachma slave. Generous of the heart, had a generous spirit, a wise heart, and a wise spirit. The leaders, the princes, the leaders of each tribe, they also contributed. They brought precious gems and stones, shoham stones, stones of the setting for the ephod and the choshen for the breastplate. And the spices and the oil for illumination to create the shaman mishcha to anoint, to uh, be able to smear over the utensils. And the incest spices for the ketoros. Every man or woman whose heart motivated them any person whose heart motivated them to bring any of the work that Hashem commanded them through Moshe, the children of Bnei Yisrael, the Bnei Yisrael brought a free-willed offering to Hashem. They brought a nidava. Nidava is a... Think about what's a nidava today? Charity. It's a donation. It's not mandatory. It's not obligatory. Yechevet was saying, unlike the Machetz Sasheka, what everyone was commanded to do, there was a... There was a solicitation, there was an appeal, and those whose heart moved them participated, wanted to be counted in those who give. Okay, so that's the overall overview of this section that I want to get into and analyze a little bit further with you this morning. Okay, so go back to Pasuk Chavalef. So what's going on here? Why the emphasis over and over again on describing Nedivlev, Nisaolibo, whose heart moved him, Nedavrucho, who's a generous spirit. What's, are there different categories of people who give? What's going on? So, the Ramban, you can look at the Ramban. The Ramban differentiates a little bit. The Ramban says, Nachmanis, Alachachamimahusimbmalachayomarkein. Nisaolibo, the first expression, because again the Pasuk uses multiple expressions. Nisaolibo means whose heart inspired him. Then we have Nadvarucho. Nadvarucho means whose spirit motivated him. But then we have in a moment, we have it repeated. Again, we have these two expressions. Nasaliban, yet with the women. And we have Nadiv. What's the difference between Nasa? and Nadav. You have these two verbs. To be inspired, to be motivated. What's the difference between these? Why is the Torah using multiple descriptions? Again, if you have a sensitivity to the text, you have to ask, is it describing different personality traits or character traits? Are people motivated differently? What, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, but so, and what's Nasalibo? There's also somebody who's giving generously motivated. Right. So we switch from Rucho, Liban. Is it in the heart? Is it in the spirit? Where are you motivated to give? Yes. Is it because you're smart that you gave, or is it because you gave because you were smart? Oh. Okay, good. It's a great way of putting it. Did you give because you're smart, or are you smart because you gave? Good. So let's see in a second. So the Ramban, Nachmanides, says. The description of Nasa Alibo, who's, when your heart, what is it? A Masa is to carry. Your heart carries you, is really where that word comes from. So when, you, when the Ramban is saying, when the Torah uses the description of a person whose heart carries them, it means the people doing the work. It means the people doing the work. Avayaskir Bahen Nadivus. They didn't have, they, they didn't serve as um, apprentices under, other, under others. They didn't learn, they didn't go to school. What do they call them, schools? 
Vocational schools. There weren't vocational schools in the desert. How did you know how to assemble a tabernacle? How did you know how to weave? How did you know how to dye? How did you know how to build? How did you know how to construct? How did you know how to do all this stuff? So that's what the Ramban says. They were self-taught. They were internally motivated. And they received some divine guidance. So the individuals who volunteered to actually do the work, they were Nisa'oli Bo. They were carried by their heart. They were moved enough. You see, there were two types of people, says the Ramban. There were those who wrote the checks, and there were those who were ready to do the work. And that's the different descriptions represent. By the way, there's a lot of modeling for this in our miniature tabernacles, in our miniature shuls, in our miniature institutions of Jewish communal life. And you have what is classically in the nonprofit world become as known as the three W's. You need people to contribute the three W's. Someone can do all three, that's great. If a person can do any one, that's fantastic. Everyone can do at least one of them. The three W's are wealth, work, and wisdom. People can contribute wealth. You could write a check. In order to accomplish the things we want to do, if you have goals, if you have a plan, if you have a vision, you need money to fund it. You need workers, worker bees. You need people to get it done, to make things happen. And you need wisdom. People have a lot more wisdom and life experience. They know what's worked, what hasn't worked. And rather than reserve it and retreat, they need to be able to offer it. So the Ramban says, the first step are those who said, and I love his formulation, they, they, were, they came, their heart rose in the way of Hashem, to come before Moshe and say to him, Ani kol I'm here. You know, I gave this 10-year vision speech last week. And, you know, whether you agree, disagree, whether you think there should be other parts of the vision or some of the parts of the vision don't speak to you, that's fine. We can form it all together as a community. I just wanted to get the conversation started. But there were people who walked up to me at the end of the speech and they said, count me in. Whatever I need to do to help make that particular part of the overall thing happen, count me in. And that's what the Ramban is saying. That this group were... Their heart was raised, not in an arrogant sense, but it was on fire. It was, it, was, it was elevated to be able to say, they showed up, they said to Moshe, we have work to do? Count me in. I explained this earlier, says the Ramban. So the first description of their heart carried them, their heart was lifted, those are the worker bees. That's that W. The expression of v'chol asher nadva rucho. So that's an adiv, that's an adava. When your spirit moves you to write the check, that's the wealth. Or there are people who write the checks who don't have wealth. That's even more impressive, that they're willing to write the check. So that's the people who give the resources, the finances to make it happen. And Moshe is saying to all of them collectively, So that's why the continuation of this narrative is Moshe says, the heads of the project, the leaders, the committee chairs are Betzalel and Aliyah. They are the chair people, the co-chairs of this Mishkan committee. But he calls everyone Excuse me, Chacham Leif. Kol Chacham Leif is linking everyone together. Whether you are a Nisa Olibo, or you're an Advar Ruchal, we need Kol Chacham Leif, everybody who has wisdom of the heart, to come together. So it's a beautiful Ramban. Again, just from a textual standpoint, the, what I'm trying to communicate, what I try each and every week, is that the Ramban was bothered. Why, um, clearly was bothered, why is the Torah using these multiple expressions? Nisa, it's fine. Nisa Olibo, and Advaruchal. It's, it, it, it's redundant. If it means the same thing, it's redundant. And if it means something different, why are you saying it? The Torah by definition is never redundant. And the Torah by definition never has synonyms. In the English language, we have synonyms. One of my best friends in the entire world is the thesaurus on Microsoft Word. And you know that when you hear my speeches, when I like to say things in threes. So... We have synonyms because it just helps you get it across, it helps you capture it, it helps you emphasize it. But if I ask you what's the real difference between this word and that word, it's a synonym. There's no difference. In biblical Hebrew, there are no synonyms. There is at least a nuanced or subtle difference. Words are related and they share meanings, 
But there's at least a nuance and subtle difference. So what bothered the Ramban, and this is what I'm trying to communicate, that we need to be sensitive to the text is, if it uses these two expressions in a row, Nisa'oli, Bo, and then Advarucho, if it meant the same thing, it would be redundant, the Torah wouldn't have it. And if it means something different, what does it mean? And that's how the Ramban came to his conclusion. It's referring to two groups of people, the workers and those who provide the funds. The Orachayim HaKadosh, of Chaim Ben Atar, also addresses this question, was also bothered. Verse Chafalaf. Perush, Omro Nisa Olivo, Unidvarucho. Again, he too was bothered. Why the two expressions? So da, he said, no. There are two types of people, there are two levels of those who give. The first is the person who gives from their own volition, according to what they can and according to what they have. So the first type of person gives, there's no pain involved in their giving. They're not departing with something that defines them, that is their essence. Indeed, they get a joy, they get a fulfillment, a deep and profound satisfaction in giving. And they don't give the bare minimum because they've been you know, cornered or pressured. They give because they believe in the cause so badly. They give because giving is natural to who they are. They give because it's part of what provides their very happiness. And they give kifi erech mamono, according to what they have. Not just the bare minimum. Proportional to what they have. That's the first person. That's the person the Yorachayim says is, Nadvarucho. Their spirit moves them. Hasheni, there's a second type of person. Second person doesn't just give according to what they have. See, the first person says, all I can afford is membership, I'm going to be a member. Or I can afford to be a gold pillar or an emerald pillar or whatever the pillars, I don't even remember. According to what I have, I'm going to give. The second person says the Orachayim doesn't give according to what they have. They give even more than what they have. I don't mean they give more than what they have to put themselves in a position of needing to collect charity. But what I mean is, they could have easily have said, I can get away with the bare minimum. But they went above and beyond the level of what's expected of them. They dug deep. They gave until it hurt. They gave until they had to give up something in order to be able to give. So that's what the, the Orachayim is saying. That's what the two terms correspond with. Not the wisdom and the wealth. Both of them correspond with giving. That Narvarucho means your spirit moves you. So you give according to what you can afford. Nisa'alibo means your heart carries you. It lifts you to give above and beyond what you can afford. Among the Jewish people, you have both of these categories. He doesn't mention the third category, which unfortunately I would argue is the largest, who don't give at all. Who are, in the words, I hope I don't offend you with this term, Rabbi Steve Weil coined this phrase, who are financially constipated. Very interesting. When describing the category of Nisaolibo, which is the higher category, the person who digs deep, who's willing to give up in order to give, who goes above and beyond, the Torah calls that person an Ish, called Ish. Ish does not mean in contrast to Isha, man as opposed to woman. Ish is a description of importance, of Chashivas, as opposed to Adam. Adam comes from what word? Adama. Adam is from Adama means it's the most base part of who you are. You're the similarities between man and an animal. When you want to speak about man as simply a biological creature, you call him an Adam. When you want to speak about man, the generic man, man and women, men and women as some prominent, prestigious, advanced group, a higher level of, of uh, people, chashivas, importance, that you refer to as ish. Again, the, notice the Orchayim's sensitivity to the text. It doesn't say Adam, it says ish. Why? Because Nisa'oli Bo, the person whose heart is elevated, is an ish. They're the higher level. Ukeneged Hasheni Amar V'chol Asher Nadvaru Bo V'lo Amar Ish Ki'en Chash Be'erach Harishon 
But when it comes to the other category, the person who just gives the bare minimum, the nedval rucho, it doesn't say v'chol ish asher nedval rucho. It doesn't repeat ish, because it doesn't want to apply that term of importance to the second individual. The Rechaim points out that the truth is you only had the two categories. You didn't have a third category. People gave. And people gave generously. And they gave graciously. However, some gave even more. And some gave only the bare minimum. And that's what the two terms. So again, I'm just trying to show you. You have two examples here. You have the Ramban and you have the Orchayim, each sensitive to the text in their own way, to ask why the repetition of the phrases, what do these two phrases correspond to? The Orchayim has a little, even closer sensitivity to see, it said Ish the first time, Ish Asher Nitzah why didn't it say Ish Asher Nitzah And the Orchayim sees in that, that the Torah is condoning, the Torah is praising one level as being higher than the next. Okay, that's the first thing. Number two. What was this expression? We said the men came with, at, on, the women. What's going on here? The women came No, the women didn't give the jewelry for the eggs. Okay. So let's look at Rashi. Rashi, Rashi who has an allegiance to the simple meaning of the text. Rashi whose commitment is to... Rashi whose sensitivity is he doesn't want to give highfalutin drushes sermons homiletics he just wants to tell you the text so what does he say they came with the women and next to them it means im that Rashi says don't get too excited the word al just means im don't try to interpret who is better who came first who get al means im and if you look at the Ibn Ezra, who as like Rashi has a sensitivity to the text, Revavim Ibn Ezra says also, don't get excited. Al anashim kamo im anashim. Kamo alechem abikurim tenufa verabim kacha. The Ibn Ezra says, go through the Chumash and you'll see many times the word al and im are interchangeable. So al means im. The men came with the women. Don't get too excited. That's Rashi and the Ibn Ezra. Look at the Orachayim Akadosh. The Orachayim says, Tzarech Ladas Kavanas Omro Al Hanashim. The Orachayim is not satisfied. Because he says, if Al means him, write him. Why does it say Al? Ode, and furthermore, he has another question. Lama Kefa Lomar Pam Acheres Kol Nadivlev. We just finished in the prior Pasuk saying, anyone who's Nisa Olibo, whose heart elevates them, or Nadvarucha, whose spirit moves them, should give. And then we say, Vayavo, the men came with the women, kol Nadivlev. Anyone who has a generous heart. You just told me that a second ago. We already developed our two categories. Why are you repeating it? Says the Yorachayim. So the Torah is telling us the manner of the generosity of the heart of those who gave. Because he says the Orachayim, Reb Chaim ben Atar, that there are four types of relationships that people have with their property, with their possessions. There are four relationships people have with their possessions. Harishon Shabarishon, the first is, Hen kli tachshite b'nei beso shal adam ukle bayis, what a person has, their utensils, your car, your um, jewelry, your big flat screen TV, your, your possessions. Person's possessions are number one. Number two, Hazahav, Kimikol Kinyanam, Shiyashin Ba'olam, Yehav Yosumikulam. Number two is gold. This was before gold. Gold's. High in value now, right? So before gold was up, the Yorachayim already knew hundreds of years ago. People love gold. Gold is a precious commodity. Gold is a rare commodity. Therefore, people love it by definition, no matter what it is. So number two, people love gold. Number three, Ashlishi, Dvarim she'ena benimza zulas etzlo. Yigdal ma'alas ambe'ena v'yosem ishir shavim. Number three are things that do not have an intrinsic or inherent worth but are one of a kind, so are very valuable to you. Right? My wife has, we have framed in our house, in a box frame, her grandmother's Tehillim, and a picture of her with her grandmother. 
So that Tehillim, I spoke about that Tehillim when I gave the Tehillim class, that Tehillim is worth more for my wife, and to a lesser extent me, is worth more than anything in our house. It's a Tehillim. You could get that copy of a Tehillim, go into a store, you could get it for 10 bucks. Why is that worth so much? Because Rechaim says this is the third category. Heirlooms or antiques or things that have personal meaning to you that are irreplaceable. The picture that your kid colored that sits on your refrigerator is worth, should be worth more to you than, than uh, one of my daughters had a homework assignment. She had to write a letter to the president. So I sat with her yesterday to work on it with her. And it was, she was eight years old and she on her own knew to write you know, thank you for what you do for America, but don't forget to th- care about Israel also. And it was just the sweetest letter, and she signed it, your American Jewish friend, Leora. It was the sweetest, it was the sweetest letter. And we want to hear it. What? When she gets her response. Yeah, when she gets her response. I wouldn't hold your breath. So I so said, that to me is worth more than... She will get the response. Whatever else. So that's number three. Number four, says the Archaim. The rest is your money. Your money and things that have value. So you have your possessions in your house. Then you have number two was gold. Number three are your heirlooms, the things that are unique to you. And number four is your money, your bank account. And therefore the Torah is organizing the generosity of the heart by what you're willing to give. So you may not like this, but he says, What does it mean, means the men brought what was on the women. <laughs> they took what the women were wearing off the women and brought it. They had nothing to mess with. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll get to it. The seed there are cost of a tachitim shevi, laharos, chibas, hamis nadim. Shall Lorotsu, lahavi, eladabra, yosem, So the first thing in the order is the men brought al hanashim what their wives were wearing, namely, chach, vanezem, etabas, the nose ring, the rings, the bracelets. The first love they showed is what was on their wives. Fine. So why did you repeat Nadivlev? We already said in the last passage two categories of givers. There's a difference, or Chaim says, concentrate between the expression Yidvenu Libo, those that are generous of their heart, and Nadivlev. Generous heart. It's, it's, there are people who give generously and there are generous people. That's the difference, says the Yorachayim. People who give generously are Nidiv Libo. They give of their heart, they give generously. But there are people who are generous. In other words, is it that you're a person and one of the things you try to do is give? Or is it that you're a generous person? You have this in a lot of areas. There are people who do chesed and then there are balei chesed who themselves are conduits of chesed. In other words, there are people who overcome their intuition they overcome their temptation to keep their money and they, so they give generously. It's not easy. And then there are generous people who just get... We all know people like that. They love to give. They love to give to others. They love to give to charity. They love to give. They give. Shlomo Kabach was a giver. He had to take a collection in order to be able to afford to pay for his burial because Shlomo Kabach gave. He finished a concert. They handed him the cash and it was gone before he got out the door giving it to somebody in need. So there are people who are just generous. They love to give. So that's the difference, says the Orachim, between Nidiv Libo and Nidiv Leiv. Nidiv Libo means a person who gives generously. Nidiv Leiv is a generous person. That means that the person gets more joy when they give money than when they get money. What brings the greater joy? When you earn money 
When that interest rate comes back, when your stock goes up, when the check comes in, your paycheck is uh, direct deposit comes in, or when you can write the check to give charity. If you get more pleasure when the check comes in, when your direct deposit comes in, even if you give generously, you're a person who gives generously. But if you get greater pleasure when you can write the check, even more than when your money comes in, then you're a generous person. So, they gave jewelry, they gave their gold, they gave in relationship to all of their possessions. And I don't want to continue the Archaim because of time, but if you read, he keeps, he keeps saying how these verses correspond with the four levels of relationships with possessions. And people gave corresponding with their relationships. So, for our purposes, he answered his two questions. What does Al Hanashim mean? The main gave Al on the women. He meant he says it means the men gave what was on the women. That's the first thing they gave, their jewelry. They grabbed it off their wives and handed it in. They were not genuine. They were not genuine. Okay. Yeah. Good question. You gotta work that out in the Orachim a little bit. Yes, Diane. Which one of the four levels is teaching your wife? Yeah. That was a good answer. That's why I said, look at the rest of the Lord on your own. Okay. The Kliakar, has a different interpretation. Now, this is also, by the way, again, I'm not sharing the classical interpretations with you. This is also a little different than what you'd expect. <coughs> So the Kliakar first quotes the classic interpretation, which is, the men gave with the women. When you say someone gave with someone, who gave first? The first thing mentioned or the second? Second thing mentioned. If I say I'll go with you, it means you're, the default is that you're going and I'm willing to go with you. So the Kleakar makes reference that the traditional interpretation is that the women, of course, were giving. They were the first to give. means They schlepped their husbands along. Those slugs, their husbands, those lazy bums, they dragged them, they dragged them along to be able to, uh, to give as well. Now the truth is, says the Kliyakar, this is a tremendous expression, a compliment to the women. Because did they have to give? No. Why did they have to give? Because I understand those lousy Oisvarf men, they ran to give, they donated generously, they had no problem writing that check to build an eagle, to cheat on God, to practice infidelity, to practice an indiscretion, to build a golden calf, they ran to give. So what's the atonement? How do you repair the damage done? How do you show that you can do it properly now? By making up for it, by running to give to something virtuous, to something proper, to something right. This is all, again, we're not going to get into it now also. The structure of Truma Tetzava. Then you have Kitisa, Kisisa with the Cheta Egel in the middle, and Vayaka Pakude. Some understand the repetition, going back full circle what we started with. Some see the repetition with Kisisa couched in the middle as telling us that the Mishkan was the antidote to the Cheta Egel. The Mishkan is the response. The building of the tabernacle is the repair for the damage of the golden calf. But it appears on both sides because really, building of the Mishkan happened afterwards. But the Torah describes it beforehand because God gives the Rafua Kodim Lamaka. God always provides the Rafua. He provides the, the healing, the antidote, even before the infliction. So, again, remember that the Mishkan, the building of the tabernacle, and you've got to understand exactly why that is. The Kuzari speaks about it, Rabbi Yudalev, we don't have time now. He describes just in 30 seconds, what was the sin of the golden calf? How do you understand it? I mean, it's mind-boggling. A couple get married, they stand under their chuppah. They're in love. They have incredible affection, love. And they go to the hotel that night. And the husband says to the wife, I'm just going down the hall to fill the ice bucket at the ice machine. And while he's on that walk down the hall, he goes and he has an affair down the hall. He cheats on her that wedding night. That's what we did to God. We stood under Harsinai. 
We married God, we received His Torah, that was the wedding ring. He held the mountain over our head, that was the chuppah. We were married to God. And what do we do right afterwards? We cheat. We build an eagle and we're worshipping an eagle. Is it possible a people could so quickly abandon, who could cheat, who could have infidelity so quickly? So the Kuzari says they never abandoned God. They loved God, this wasn't cheating, this wasn't an affair. This was their need to have a physical connection to God. And he, the Beis Alevi also expands on this idea, Rav Yosheb that the Rav's uh, great-grandfather, that the people needed a physical, tangible connection to God. So they built an eagle because it was Moshe. When Moshe didn't reappear, they had no physical entity, advocate, responding as an ambassador of God. So they built an eagle. They built an eagle. So God says, you know, that's, you can't do it on your own. God, so to say, says, I recognize your need for it. So I'm going to give you a mishkan, a tabernacle. You can't just connect with me with no parameters whatsoever, with no physical connection whatsoever. So I want you to build a tabernacle. You'll have a tent of the meeting, you'll have a shulchan and a menorah, you'll have utensils, you'll have priestly garments, you'll have physical things to connect through me, to me through. So, and he says, and you know how you show me that you get it, that you want to repair, that indeed you want to correct your indiscretion? Give as generously and as quickly to build my tabernacle as you did to build that golden calf. So the Kliyakar says, men had to do it. I get it. The men had to give as generously to show that they cared. So the women who resisted, who hesitated, I spoke last night at the Israel Bonds event, the women who did not give, did not contribute, did not buy into this need for something tangible without God's okay, they didn't give to the golden calf. So why do they have to give now their jewelry to the tabernacle? Nevertheless, the Kliyakar is quoting the traditional interpretation. The women did not hesitate to give because of their love, their affection, their commitment to the cause of the tabernacle of God. So here's the part where the Kliyakar gives a little twist. This is the Kliyakar's twist. Beautiful. It says the women were the first to want to give to the tabernacle, even though they were the last to give, they didn't give to the Chayta Egel. But they didn't want to give directly to Moshe. They didn't want to come in and hand him the check. Why? Because they didn't want to be counted among those who had sinned with the golden calf and now need to repair their ways. So you know why it says the men came on the women? Because the women didn't want, they wanted to give, but they didn't want to give directly to Moshe because they feared being counted among those who sinned. So the husbands had to come on to their wives to force them, to force the jewelry off of them because uh, the women did not want to be counted among those who had sinned. Aval, he says, When it came to contributing resources, the women indeed did hesitate because they didn't want to be associated with those who had sinned. But when it came to volunteering, they were the first. Describes that the women were, right, the next call, the women were the ones who, who uh, did the weaving, who spun the wool. Because when it came to working, they would, that which would not associate them with the Chayta Egel, they were all too happy to be, able to, to be able to join. So you have three interpretations. You have the classic interpretation, means means the men came with the women, means after the women. The women were first. They didn't give to the golden calf, but they were the first to give to the tabernacle, the Mishkan. Second interpretation you didn't like, the Yorachayim, Al-Hashim means the husbands. The husbands loved God so much they grabbed the jewelry off their wives. The third interpretation is the Kliyakar that says the women did want to give, but they didn't want to give their jewelry because it implied they were associated with having their repair from the Chayta Egel. So it took the husbands taking it off of them to give, but when it came to working, to spinning the wool, they were the first ones there all too happy to be able to give. Next. We have a couple more minutes. Not really, but we're going to... Uh, so much more to go. Let me just point out a few things. Hanasi in verse 27. Again, if you're sensitive to the text, when it describes Hanasi may view, after what everyone gave, the last group to give were the 
the princes, the heads of the tribes, these great uh, leaders, the dignitaries. How is it spelled, the opening word of verse 27? Hanasiyim is misspelled. What's missing? It's missing a yud. So again, if you're sensitive to the text, you notice these things. The Torah is not coincidental, it's not random. It's not spelled differently for no reason. So why is it spelled without the yud? Rashi tells us. God was punishing them. What do you mean? They gave the most expensive gift. They gave the gems that would be used in the breastplate. Shh, shh, shh. They gave these expensive stones. They gave these gems. They gave the most expensive gifts. So why are they chastised? Why are they rebuked? Why are they punished by their name being absent, missing a yud? So Rashi tells us, you know why? Because they gave last. Because their attitude was, which you would think was noble, they said, let's see what everyone else gives, and we'll give the rest, whatever's missing. The Orachim earlier in Parshish Truma, the matching donation. Well, no, that's the opposite. The matching donation says, I'm giving first, and I'm challenging everyone else to match what I give. I'll give if everyone else gives. They're setting a challenge so that everyone else will give. They're initiating, they're proactive. These Nisiyim, while on the one hand they gave the gems, on one hand they gave the gems, on the other hand, and on the one hand, it's virtuous. They were willing to fill in the gap, whatever was missing. But because they showed an attitude of giving last, that is something which is negative, which they are punished uh, for by being listed last and by missing the yud. The next thing is... Yeah. Is it possible also that, that uh, he was objecting to their gaiva, to their waiting for the big hoo-ha at the end. Uh, I'm going to save the day. Oh, absolutely. The Orachayim elaborates on this earlier in Truma. Helen's 100% right. That the person who says, you know what, I'll give it, I'll, I'll, be the, I'll be the sugar daddy who fills in whatever's missing. You know, I'll take care of it. I'll be the one who saves it. It's, you see, it's, it's easy to sweep down to burn the mortgage, to finish, to get rid of the debt, to fill the gap, to make the project to go. It's harder to be the first person when you don't know if the project's going to be complete, what, what's really going to happen. To be that first person to raise your hand and make that pledge is a lot harder. And that's what the Torah is trying to communicate in its rebuke of the Nisim for their attitude. Because even though in some ways it was noble, in other ways it was a noble. The, uh, the next thing or the last thing which we're already significantly out of time, is the, um, the designation of, of Betzalel and Eliyav. Because this too is a kind of a funny language. Pasuk Lamed. Well, you know what? We're going to stop here. We're going to start with this next time. But I'll leave you with this question for next time. See that God called the name Betzalel son of Uri, son of Chur from Yehuda. What a funny formulation. Ruh, see, why do you see? What do you see that God called the name? Just tell us. God designated a guy, his name is Betel. What do you mean, see? Ruh, Kara, what, what's going on here? And why do I have to know his whole lineage? What's the significance that he's Betel, the son of Uri, the son of Chor, he's from the tribe of Yehuda, Aliyav, Ulahoros, Nasan, and I'll just show you in Pasuk Lam and Alf, we'll talk about it next year. That God, why is Betzal designated? He's filled with the three qualities necessary for this leadership to be the architect of the Mishkan. What are those three qualities? Chachma Bina Das. What's the acronym of Chachma Bina Das? Betzal was a Chabad rabbi. He had a long beard, he wore little glasses, colorful shirts, and he was a Chabad rabbi. So he had Chachma Bina Das. What's the significance of that? We'll start with that next year. Okay. Why does it say it?